your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to. Is it only Tuesday? The Tuesday of Lacrosse Talk PM, 608 785 7914. Like the guy just said, you want to get in here. Got a couple. Well, we got the first half of the show. We can just, we can do whatever we want. So if you want to call, you want to text 608 785 7914. Here's some news about the Wisconsin election investigation. The Not the last election, the two elections ago. Um, just a, we've got an email situation. <laughs> Look out. Are we going to do that? Should we do that? But Gableman's emails, Michael Gableman, the former Supreme Court judge, sending uh, emails out to from a, from a Gmail account that is signed by him, but not from him. It has a different name on there. Uh, what's going on? So I guess we've got to lock him up. Just email emails, right? Just just do that. But uh, there was a the the AP talked to all seventy two county election clerks and some of them the the email went right to their junk folder. Uh, some didn't receive the email, and some of them had it flagged as a security risk. Oh, we'll get we'll get to the bottom of that, and then we'll get to the bottom of that election two elections ago. Another election coming up. I, the 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 county board voted to uh, move ahead with the new redistricting maps, so those should be in place by the April election, which is you know not that far away. Hopefully, we get all this election stuff figured out before we do a, a third election. Um, and then uh, the other story that I saw that was pretty interesting is um, we've got a measles outbreak. Uh, only one case at Fort McCoy, so that's somewhat good. And then there were five cases at a at a base in Virginia among Afghan ref- refugees. So while they're getting their COVID shots, we got to get them measles shots too. That's something that I think we all got as kids. Uh, there were, wasn't a big fight about that, I don't think. Six zero eight seven eight five seven nine one four. Coming up at the 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 bottom half of the hour is uh, Gary Tyler. He is someone that was imprisoned for murder back in 1974. And he was convicted as a 17-year-old of first-degree murder during a protest among white people protesting black students in Louisiana at a high school there. A 13-year-old boy was murdered, a white boy. Uh, Gary Tyler gets convicted of killing that boy as a 17-year-old. Um, and there's just a lot of circumstances. We, could, we he'll, he'll tell, obviously he'll tell his story a lot better than I'm going to try to do, but uh, in prison for, for 40, 41 years, I believe. Uh, he just got out in 2016, so five years ago. So just the, the idea here, right, is you go to prison. So first of all, he was, he, he was going to prison for life, also on death row. So he was the youngest boy at the time. He was the youngest person to ever be sentenced to death row. And, and that's it. Like that's his life. 17 year olds up for something that he didn't do. And, uh, then he sits in prison for 41 years. He tries to get some appeals in the 1980s that don't, don't end up working. And then there's more, you know, after he went to prison, like two years later, they, the Supreme court ruled that you couldn't go, you couldn't be on the, you couldn't be on death row. 
And I mean, it's just, I guess, extenuating circumstances or mitigating factors, something like that. Like you, you got to take into account all those things before you, you can't just go to death row. So they changed that two years after he went to jail. So that was probably, you know, a, a little bit of a weight off his shoulders, but now he's a 19 year old in jail for life, right? For something that, that, that he didn't do. So, and then, yeah, he spent 41 years there. So we'll talk to him about, and we won't have a ton of time with him. So I'm going to try to like roll the show back a little bit. So we get a little bit more time with him, but he's got such a busy schedule. He's doing the round. So he's going to be at UWL tonight. So you'll be able to hear him talk a lot more at UW lacrosse tonight. He's also going to be part of the, the county's justice management, uh, criminal justice management meeting tomorrow. I believe that's tomorrow. On Thursday, he's going to speak with Western Tech students, WTC uh, students, I think criminal justice students there in the morning. And Thursday night, he's going to speak of a turbo. So there is a good chance. And if you're listening now, you can hear him in a shortened form, and we'll see what kind of things we can talk to him about. I mean, it's just there's the easy one. Like, you went to jail in 74. You got out in 2016. How did life change? So I know I did... I did talk to him before for just like three minutes. I just wanted to ask him the one, you know, here's the dumbest, the easiest question, Gary. You went to jail in 74, you come out. Did you experience something like cell phones? I mean, do do you get a cell phone in jail at some point? Do you get to play with stuff like that? Uh, Thinking like me, yeah, probably, right? Like probably if you're in jail, you probably have access to that at some point. Nope, he didn't. So he got out and, and he said, I think he said he felt really dumb. When he came out and he had this, you know, cell phone, no idea what it was, how it worked. Um, so that, I mean, but that's kind of getting off topic, right? Off, off, but it is interesting. I mean, not a lot of people experience that, right? Losing their entire life, their entire, entire youth, and then coming out in the world in 2016 and just, it's a whole new world, right? There's a whole song about it. Um, all right. But obviously we want to talk to him about his story, the, the circumstances that put him in jail and the circumstances that got him in jail and then maybe some of the, the changes that he would like to see having experienced all that. And how did he experience it, right? Like, how did he how did he cope? Because that's got to be a lot of, like, pent-up frustration, rage, whatever, that, you know, you sit in jail for 41 years and stew about something that, that you're not supposed to be there for and you can't do anything about. It's, it's crazy, right? All right, I got to get Brad doing the news. We'll be back. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talking text line if you want to get in here. Uh, somebody texted me about um, Miami-Dade County and, and just the, the amount of commissioners because we were just talking about how many county members, county board members we have for each of the districts, and there's we're going to 30. We're going from 29 to 30, but somebody says they – let me pull up the text here, and Brad's, Brad wants to get in on this too because we were just talking before the break. Uh, where is it? Oh, Johnny, Johnny texted in, Brad. He goes, I find it funny that the county has expanded from 29 to 30 members of our population. I was recently at the Miami-Dade Airport, and they had pictures of uh, Dade County, the Dade County Board. There are 2.2 million people or something like that, and they have 13 county board members. And I, I looked it up. There's, here's, the, here's the Dade County Board. There's, there's appears to be 13 county board members, and here we in they the cross. pictures of the Dade County Board at the airport? I guess so. Well, do well, we need? Isn't that? Well, we don't have enough wall space for for thirty county members in our in our no, airport. But so. we had <laughs> we there... had more 
uh, we did have a higher number of county board. Well, I mean, it's fluctuated over the years. Uh, I remember in, in the 70s when I was first aware of the Lacrosse County Board, long time ago, uh, they had 36 members. Okay. And they they've gone back and forth. They had 35 until the last census in 2010. Then they cut it down to 29. Okay. And now they're talking about 30 because it would be more even between the city and the county. Yeah, we've kind of set the set the table where, where, okay, we want this many people in each of our districts. And then we're just going to go from there because it'd take, uh, you know, otherwise we'd just double up districts if we wanted to cut that in half, like well, Miami. The, yeah, well, the state, it's it's weird. The state would allow with uh, La Crosse County to even have a lot more. And they, they could have as many as 40 or 50, I think, under state law. Oh, really? If they wanted to. So maybe it's a Florida-Wisconsin thing. It and could be, well, from one state to another. I mean, there are some states, I think Minnesota limits its county boards to seven or there there's some uh i lived for a year in lincoln nebraska which is larger than lacrosse and their county board only had five people okay i so, mean it's not um so it's not all that i, I don't but, but i don't think it's that, that lacrosse city council has gone down over the years and now it's only 13 yeah it was 13 what was it before that 17 17 so yeah. i mean in my head it's not it's not like the worst thing to have more county board members because you essentially, where, wherever you live, you're better represented amongst the county or the city government well, if you if you have more members because the, the your district is, is this is going to be small. about four thousand people for each district. Oh yeah, under so, this new map. So so you're you're one of four thousand. Where in Miami, it's uh, thirteen divided by two point two million. Yeah, right, go right. <laughs> so <laughs> much more. Hundred thousand persons. Per district, yeah, I don't imagine you're getting uh, your and county I don't know board how many member. They may be uh, some of those will be at large too. That they're they're not representing a specific district. But I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah, probably get. It's probably hard to get your county commissioner on the phone in Miami Dade County <laughs> Miami, yeah. because you're. It's pretty easy. And anyway, with the city, well, the county too. I, I you know, anytime I want to try to get a hold of somebody with the county or the city council, county board, pretty right. easy to do that. And that's and and of course it's the same in the city of La Crosse. Districts are the same as the county districts, so you got four thousand people for every member of the city council. Mm-hmm. Wait until the money starts flowing into these oh, elections in yeah. April. Now that we know, that's right. A little bit of shuffling too with the county board map, right? Like a couple a of little, uh, yeah. They, they what they tried. There was one attempt uh, at this meeting last night. There was one effort to, uh, and now I'd have to go back to my notes. But they wanted to to do a little change in the city to make it equal. Uh, to county representation, it didn't work. But uh, yeah, just, there's a little shuffling here and there, but not much. Yeah, it looks like there's four incumbents: uh, Dave Hunt, Dan Height. Yeah, there are there are a couple. Uh, yeah, a few situations where they're moving. Uh, the new districts would have two of the current incumbents in the same district, so they'd have to run against each other if they both wanted to. Not keep that confusing, though. Or they'd have to move. If you're in District 25, 26, 27, or 29, you essentially just you're bumped up a, a district, except 27 goes to 29. So that screws it up. Thanks a lot, to District 27. Um, all right. Well, that's yeah. – yeah, I thought that was interesting. Hey, thanks thanks for that, Brad, and thanks thanks for the text, Johnny. That's that's kind of funny. Um, also, pretty bored in the airport, like you're just wandering around looking at county board members <laughs> that Miami did. Kind of a long layover, apparently, for, for Johnny at the Miami airport. Um, how many people are on that flight? Are we, are we back to just – I don't know. It's been a while since I – I mean, it's been a while since I got on an airplane, even before pandemic. But now, uh, every once in a while, you see that during the the well, the first height of the pandemic, where somebody is 
there's like two people on the entire airplane it's, or on the jet and it's like well why are we even why are we even flying this thing give them give them like five hundred dollars and their ticket back and tell them to go you know see if they can't make a go a different route or something like that um tom's calling tom's calling in tom go ahead you're on the air yeah, I just wanted to mention that it seems to me that many years ago when the number of people that were established the size of a county board, uh, we had poor communication. Uh, my Uncle Ray used to have to get on his horse and ride all the way over to Medoro to talk to somebody uh, 100 years ago, and we don't have to do that anymore. Nowadays, we can call or email or have a Zoom meeting. So in reality, they should just cut the size of the county board down to a reasonable number, maybe 15, but um, there's no good reason now for them to add a member. Why, is it, why, is, why isn't 30 a reasonable number? Because basically it costs more money to have 30 versus 15. How much and more money? Reason is because it simply is not necessary. We don't need this many people. Uh, if, uh, if we go from 4,000 people per member to 8,000, um, I was on the county board, and I rarely got calls, and I was a person who uh, was uh, somebody that people would call if they had an issue. So in my opinion is uh, let's, let's cut government down. It costs too much money. All right. So what's a county board member make? Well, they don't make much money. Uh, the, yeah, they make very little. Uh, technically, they barely cover their costs. Okay. So why, why are they expensive then? Well, we still have to pay them. We pay them mileage. We pay them a per diem fee, and uh, and and they have uh, it just it just added expense. You can look at their budget, and it's uh, just excessive. And we could just eliminate half of the uh, expenses per member by cutting them in half. It only makes sense, Rick. Uh, right. If you realize, we don't have the problems that we had when these high numbers were established. All right. Thanks for the call. I. Kind of the other way. First of all, you just said that it, we cut the expenses down, and then you said it doesn't cost much to have more county to have a county board member. So, but if we have more county board members, I feel like you're better represented. There's, it's kind of like teachers, right? Just think about it. If you have 50 kids in the classroom to one teacher, it's going to be hard for you know each kid to learn better, learn you know a little bit more individual uh, work with the teacher. But if you cut that class in half, 25, cut the population in half, then you're, you're going to be a little bit better represented. And you have more minds on the county board. You have more, you have more people with different experiences, different takes on you know, whatever it is the county's trying to do. I don't know. It seems better to me, and it's not, not a giant cost. It doesn't seem like – I mean, you sit at yourself, Tom, the, the cost of county board member isn't very expensive. I want to say – I want to say we did talk about this a while ago, not th- not all that long ago. Was it a year ago that the county board gave themselves a raise? And that was kind of like, oh, my gosh. But I want to say they were making like 700 bucks. So if we cut that in half, we save, you know, what, 7,000 bucks, something like that. We cut 10 members. We cut 10. If we cut 15, so 10 grand, we save in 10 grand. Uh, if we cut our county board members in half there. And then you just have half the amount of minds on your county board. The uh, different, every you know, different politics, different types of people, different experiences, uh, different backgrounds. I don't know. It's on. I've double the county board. I say sixty members. Cut all the districts in half. 
You get more. You get a more diverse county board. Uh, Gary Podesky on the county board says they get seven hundred a month. Yes, I was right. And they do not get paid mileage. Do you get to uh, Gary? Do you get to write off your internet fee now instead of paid mileage? You get maybe a a paid internet fee because you're making Zoom calls. So yeah, I think uh, I think we should double the county board. Just get more members on there. It's just that more people, more backgrounds, more experiences, like more diverse crowd right like what's how is that bad is it is it does it get too big i mean when you're talking about congress they're making one hundred fifty thousand dollars. so we have too many people but then you're, you're still pretty represented it's the, the matter of how you draw the maps ron kind's district grabs stevens point eau claire <laughs> all right i want to get out of here so i can get gary tyler in here we're going to talk about how he was wrongfully imprisoned uh, for 41 years uh, released in 2016, been out five years. And uh, yeah, we'll talk about, see what kind of stuff, see all the things. But if you have questions, 608 785 7914. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608 785 7914 is the text line. We're going to make it the text line now if you want to text in, you got questions. Gary Tyler's on with me. Gary, I tried to sum up your story, which is probably hard to do. Um, for me, it's probably hard to do for anyone unless you get that hour and a half that you're going to do tonight at UWL and Thursday at Viterbo. Um, but essentially co- convicted of first-degree murder at 17, uh, wrongfully convicted, spent 41 years in jail, released in or in prison, released in 2016. Now, where do you, where do you want to start, Gary? Well, well, I would, I would like to say that um, probably the best thing for me do is uh, let people know that how much I appreciate being able to uh, share my story with them and to at least try to give them some sense of enlightenment as well as despite the, the harrowing experience that I've been through, that I was able to come out on a very, I mean, out on the end somewhat unscathed and having a very bright and promising future ahead of me. Yeah, I think a lot of people think when you, you 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 go to prison for 17 years for something that you didn't do, and you're you're there for your entire youth. You come out in 2016. I mean, how do you cope with that? I mean, did, did it take a long time for you in prison to just to? I don't know. Do you ever accept it? You can't really accept it either. I don't know. How do you cope with that in prison? No, it's not a matter of acceptance. It's a matter of being able to live with it. All right. Yeah. And, you know, especially when things are out of your control, you can run your head against the wall so many times. But when you're going to realize that, hey, you're not budging that wall and you're only hurting yourself. So the best thing to do is to what? Come up with us some, some, some other, say, you can say a, 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 a means of trying to deal with your problem and don't beat yourself up. You know, so and that's what I did. I mean, I it's not a thing of, of acceptance. It's a thing of what it is that I need to do in order to survive my situation, at least live for the next day. And the situation in which you were in prison, the, 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 uh, you know, you were convicted of shooting a, a 13-year-old uh, boy who was white, uh, was during yeah. a protest uh, at your high school, right? Were you there? Do you, do, can you explain that a little bit? Well, many people, I mean, you know, many people just, don't generally know the facts of the case because it wasn't that I was initially arrested 
for uh, for the murder of uh, of the victim at the school. I was initially arrested for disturbing the peace and interfering police officers' duty. <laughs> That's what I was arrested for. Okay. But later on, later on, they uh, they charged me with with murder after questioning me and a few other people. And uh, but of course, they uh, it, it wasn't so much a questioning phase with me. It was an interrogation where they physically and verbally abused me to the point where they left me a bloody mess. So what they did, they made one problem. I mean, they just only enhanced to the chaos and the problems that they had that day at that school. And then uh, when you were convicted, I I was reading it was an all-white jury. Was the conviction itself pretty unfair, the trial? Well, the trial itself was definitely unfair, all right? And, um, and of course, you know, they, they did a lot of, under, I mean, there was a lot of underhanded things that was taking place. But also, I, I blame my attorney at the time, who was not, a, you could say, a, criminally, a criminal defense attorney. He was a divorce attorney, and he took on my case. But, you know, my family being poor and, <laughs> and not knowing, they think an attorney, an attorney is someone that defends people no matter what, what all crimes. So they, you know, they hired him and he did a, I mean, a terrible job in uh, representing me and also investigating the case as well. And at that, at that point, for, for two years, you were on death row. You were the youngest person to be ever be on death row. What was, what was that feeling like? And then, and then to have some legislation overturn the fact that you would go on death row, I don't, was that even a sense of relief? No, it wasn't legislation that that changed that fact. It was a court order, excuse me, a court decision from the United States Supreme Court, Stanley Saul versus Roberts. I mean, excuse me, Stanley Saul Roberts versus Louisiana that ruled that that penitent constitutional in the United States. Okay, and um, that's what really got me off of death row. But being on death row, knowing that I was in a place that I shouldn't be. I was in a place that you heard so many horrible stories about, and now I'm I'm having this living experience of uh, of being in prison and on death row with a with say with a with an execution date hanging over my head. Of course, no way in the world it was pleasant. It was I mean it, it was petrifying at the time. Yeah, how how far out was your execution day? As it, you you as a seventeen year old kid, knowing that you're going to be executed. Well, he had an execution day set for me for May first, nineteen seventy six. Okay, so two years yeah. out. Uh, and then when that when the Supreme Court ruled that, it must have been was it a sense of relief because you're still in prison for life essentially. Well, I mean, most definitely because. When the U.S. Supreme Court ruled the death penalty unconstitutional, that kind of like opened the door because it was now a question of conviction because the court stated that it was unconstitutional to where a jury find a person, you know, an individual guilty, and automatically he was given a death sentence. Mm-hmm. That they didn't have, you could say, any, any you know, they, the decision process of, what kind of sentence that they feel would be best to, uh, to fit the conviction. They felt that uh, it, it was unfair because the jury was taken out of the equation of things. So uh, 
And during that time, you know, many have felt that, okay, since the court had overturned the death sentence, then possibly that Gary would probably be, be able to, you know, you know, basically would be transferred back. You could say he would be transferred back to juvenile court, and the juvenile court would handle the situation. Oh, sure. Yeah, it gives you a little bit of... Uh... Essentially, it gives you a lifetime to try to fight your the charges that you, that that put you there in in the first place, right? But that didn't come until you know the, at first in the eighties, and then uh, of course five years ago, right? Well, the thing was that when they um when when the decision was made, you had the AG's office in several southern states appeal to the courts, stating that. My conviction should maintain because I was a juvenile and I didn't have the rights as an adult and that they, they should proceed with the execution date in my case. Oh, wow. Um, yes. So, but after several, but you know, but after several months of, uh, a back and forth, my, you can say my attorneys appealing in the courts and everything, the court ruled that no, that retroactivity applies in Garrett case as well. So they had, so they, he sentenced me as an adult to a 20-year life sentence. Right. We're speaking with Gary Tyler. He's uh, speaking at UW Lacrosse tonight, Viterbo Thursday. He's You're 63 now, right, Gary? Yes. 63. I uh, spent 41 years of his life wrongfully in prison uh, for, a, for a murder of a, a, a white 13-year-old boy back in 1974. Um, Gary, when you get out of prison... I mean, in prison, you, you you know you talked about you can't just bang your head against the wall. You can't just sit here and 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 say to yourself, "I shouldn't be here." You, you did you you essentially you kind of made the most of uh, your time there, right? Like you you became what did you become a counselor and you just did some things that that were pretty nice for others in prison, right? You tried to help others. Well, of course, you know it, it was a day where how should I do this time? Should I do time or let time do me? And I made a decision that why not make the best out of a bad situation? I had the time to basically do what I needed to better myself, to, to you could say, to better equip myself to deal with my situations and conditions as a whole. So, yes, I, uh, at the time, by me being young and denied an education, I tried to pursue my educational endeavors while I was on that road. And, of course, they denied me, told me that they were not in the business of, edu- of uh, educating anyone that was on that road because it was a waste of taxpayers' money. Mm-hmm. So but by me being uh, around a bunch of grown men who recognized that the need of me being able to, you know, that, that they needed to help me. So what they did, they all came together. And they helped, and they helped me with my education. Okay, yeah, that's that's awesome. <laughs> you you wouldn't think that in prison that you, you're all helping each other out because the the what we see on, on TV in prison is is totally different than maybe what you experienced. But maybe maybe prison life wasn't all easy for you either, right? Of course, no. I mean, it definitely wasn't easy for me. It was, I mean, it was uh, it was a harrowing experience. It's just that I I just needed to. Focus, and I had the guys who, who mainly heard so much about me, and and felt that, you know, this is an opportunity for them to do what was best, and they what they did, they all, they all stood up as men, and they collectively helped me to, uh, 
to not only better my conditions in prison, but been able to help me to prepare myself to dealing with, you know, with crisis of prison as well. Yeah, I'm reading here that you became a certified bereavement counselor, a HIV AIDS counselor, a hospice volunteer caretaker, uh, just a character counselor, essentially, and, and then a teacher in prison, huh? Well, I became what they would call an overachiever in prison because <laughs> I was a man of many hats. Anything that was instituted that I felt that would be best for me to get into, I got into it. Matter of fact, I even got into drug abuse, substance or alcoholic abuse. I mean, I got into so many things, and I didn't even have those problems. But I felt that in order for me to understand someone that has substance abuse problem, I need to know the reason why. I needed to know that same way as Alcoholic Anonymous. Uh, can you talk about 2016, or I guess maybe the this, this situation started in 2014, where it starts to set the stage of your being released? And and I guess, you know, the, the easy question here, Gary, is what was it like to finally step out of prison? Well, you know, after so many years of being in prison, it happened to have been, you know, you can say, turned now from the, uh, from, what, from the Louisiana Supreme Court denying your, your appeal all the way to the United States Supreme Court, and then coming back and re, refiling Haber Corpus in a federal court, and they overturning your conviction, and then a year later, they're reinstating your conviction, and, and, you know, and, and having them saying that it was egregious that this guy was found guilty of first-degree murder when there was preponderance of, you know, facts to prove otherwise, and that, you know, and, and having been, been granted parole, excuse me, a uh, pardon, uh, a commutation for you know for three for three times and having the governor denying you, yes, that kind of like it's discouraging. It's kind of like you know have you feeling if there's any hope for me, if there's any chance of me getting out of prison. So when when Miller when um when Graham versus uh, when, when Graham came out, it kind of like gave you know guys who went to prison hope that hey maybe that. It, this case could affect me, but Graham was mainly young, young kids that went to prison for rape, for committing, uh, uh, you could say, non-homicidal uh, uh, offenses. And then later they came with uh, with, with Miller versus Alabama, and that kind of like opened the door and gave many people hope. But of course, not saying that I was a skeptic, I always tried to be an optimist, but. I felt that there was going to be uh, it was going to be a challenge because uh, so much opposition that I had at that time, and I felt that the politics in Louisiana was going to give me a fight. So no, I wasn't uh, I wasn't so much uh, you could say happy and and uh, uh, excited about that, but I had hope because sure enough that even when um, when the court ruled that it affect you know the juvenile life. Louisiana was one of the main states that opposed it, the retroactivity of the guys in uh, in Louisiana that went to prison for life as juveniles. You know, so it was one of those things that I fought all the way until the day I was released. And even the day I was released, those things were so surreal, it was hard for me to believe that it actually happened, that I was able to walk out of prison a free man.
We're speaking with Gary Tyler. He's telling his story about how he spent 41 years wrongfully imprisoned. Uh, did th- this happen in the wrong state, huh, Gary? If you would, if this would have happened somewhere else, you might not have been in this position. Well, at one time, I would have said that, but knowing how the you know criminal justice system is today, I realized that there are innocent people all over the country that go to prison for things that they didn't do. So that's kind of questionable. It's just that at that time, in the 70s, and, and busing and integration became something, uh, you could say, that unpopular at that time. You know, that, and then something dreadful happened where a, where a child lost their life. You know, it's kind of like went against the grain that, hey, you know, here we're, you know, we're integrating, and, and this is what we're expecting. We're expecting violence at our school and so and stuff like that. So, I mean, it, it was just. You know, it, it was just horrible. So for me to say that if it would have happened in any other state that possibly I wouldn't be in prison, well, I mean, it's a possibility, but possibilities are possibilities, not a certainty. So uh, it's a day where it happened. It happened in the state of Louisiana. Is it surprising? No. You know, because, you know, when you have people opposing the changes in the system, then, you know, you, you're going to have things like that. Gary, you talk about changing the system. Wisconsin law, a 17-year-old can go to adult court and be, and they can get a life sentence. We had a kid here a few years ago get a life sentence for murder. Uh, he murdered, a, he was just out of high school, murdered a, a high school student. Um, I think he, he can be paroled after 25 to 30 years, but this happened right here in town. Um, you know, do you, would you like to see some of these rules change where, where 17-year-olds' are, lives are ended because, because of a mistake? I mean, uh, that's a huge mistake, obviously, murdering someone. But as a 17-year-old, sometimes you got to wonder, you know, where their, their head is at at that point. Well, I think that they need to understand the rulings of the court when they mention that how could you, how could you judge a juvenile in the same set as you do an adult. An adult is considered someone mature and responsible for the errors of their ways. A juvenile is someone that doesn't have the cognitive ability to be able to rationalize and that they are risk takers and that they don't even think about the consequences of their actions only due to what? Due to their immaturity. And for you to say that you know, not you, I'm saying, you know, per se, yep. but for a system to say that that this person who's who commit an unspeakable act like murder, I mean, no one wish murder on anyone. But but for you, you know, for for the system to say that this child and to you know that this child is no longer, you know, uh, 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 you can say it's no longer allowed, or this child on forfeit the right of being able to somehow later on in life be eligible for parole or have the opportunity of getting out of prison, then that is unfair. Because, you know, statistically, juvenile lifers serve more time in prison than adults, than adult murderers, than adult rapists. You know, statistically, look at it, and that is a fact. Uh, Gary, the, here in La Crosse, we're predominantly white here. Uh, things, our police department isn't isn't bad, really. There's there's not a whole lot of of, of fear of the police here in La Crosse, um, but a, a lot of people of color still they they still fear the police. There there's this like institutionalized you know fear of it, it's maybe trauma from 
from generations above them. But how do you think police and, and the community can can learn to trust each other and, and learn to work together? I mean, when you're when you're around, you must different communities that you speak at. Uh, they're all going to experience, uh, you know, police and, and people of color relations differently. Yes, of course. I mean, you know, as a, even as a juvenile, as a kid, I was raised up fearing the police. All right, because the police they basically had a, you know, a bad reputation in our communities. And of course, you know, you raise up believing in that, and your kids raise up believing it as well because of the things that their parents tell them about the police. So, yes, I mean, it's basically generational because of things like that, because of the trauma itself. But I feel that since since the police are there to serve, you know, to, to serve the community, that they need to develop a kinship relationship with the community. They need to expose themselves more about interacting with those in the community and not going through the community, you understand, or... Uh, 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 as though patrolling, as though they are looking for trouble, and if trouble is not apparent, then they create trouble by what? By using, well, this individual was a person of interest. He looks suspicious, you know, and things like that. But, you know, of course, I mean, in lacrosse, they don't have the problems like major police departments around the country have. And I feel though that lacrosse, knowing that they do that, they have something to work with. They can be used as an example around the country to show how the police department get along with people, people of color in their community by interacting with them, having that relationship with them. And that's one of the things is that, you know, people are judged just like people are judged by their color. People are judged by the uniform they wear. But once people are able to make those who may fear them, understand that they are human beings just like them, that they have families that they love, you understand? I think that that kind of like create a bond, a relationship, when when you have an officer, you know, going to the community and, and just speaking to the kids, interacting with the kids and interacting with their parents, that that kind of like, you could say, lower that defense barrier that you have to the point where it kind of like what people say, oh, that's a good person. That he's a good officer, you know, and things like that. So I mean, it's 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 a thing of interacting with those in your community because if we don't take any actions by interacting with each other, then that barrier of fear gonna always be there. And I understand that no one want to be accused of something that someone else done, but you know, everybody have a responsibility as as a citizen. Is that there's a problem, then we must work collectively to resolve those problems. And I think that the police department need to interact more with those in their community. All right, Gary, I know I know you said before when we talked before you didn't want to get too deep, but I made you get too deep. Um, the one one question though, and I asked you this before the show and, and you got a minute here, but you spent forty one years in prison, you got out in two thousand sixteen. Um, and I mentioned this earlier in the show, is the cell phone, you get a hold of a cell phone, is that the most ridiculous thing you see when you get out of prison and start to learn about, or is it something else? Well, when I, when I, was in, when I, when I went to prison, there was no such thing as cell phones. There was no such thing as, uh, you could say, computers. I mean, there was computers, but there wasn't small computers that you can carry around and everything. So for me, when I first encountered a cell phone, I saw a correction officer had it, you know, and I, and I wondered what was that device, 
You told me it was a cell phone. It seemed like that itself like opened things up, that this was a new as you know, new device that many people were using. And and out of the time, you know, about being in prison, yes, they had you know, they had smuggled cell phones, but I was of the you know, state of mind that for me to get a cell phone in prison, I probably would get caught with it. You know what I'm saying? And how in the world I'm gonna be able to explain how I got a cell phone. So no, I re, you know I kind of like was uh, uh, apprehensive of even trying to mess with that yep. with a cell phone. But when I got out, and when I was given a cell phone, and it was a flip phone, I found that to be one of the most difficult devices that I could, I could ever mess with. <laughs> I hear you, man. You know, it was <laughs> I hear you. Sometimes I struggle with it too. I'm sure there we got listeners out there that still struggle for it with a cell phone. So you don't don't feel too bad, Gary. I know you got a busy schedule. Uh, have fun at UW Lacrosse speaking tonight, and I know you got a busy schedule today and tomorrow. I really appreciate you taking the time out with us. Well, I appreciate you all uh, you calling and and uh, interviewing me and having the audience listen to me. All right, thanks, Gary. All right, now. That's Gary Tyler. He's going to be speaking at UW Lacrosse tonight, telling his story of being wrongfully imprisoned for 41 years. He'll be at Viterbo on Thursday. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. All right, that's going to wrap it up. Really appreciate Gary Tyler taking uh, taking time out today and telling his story. Crazy story. I know I did. Johnny did text in. He was wondering if they reopened the case to find out who the actual killer, killer was back in 1974, who killed this 13-year-old boy. Um, I didn't get to ask him that on the air, I believe. I, I asked him kind of just, we, we ran through a couple of quick things before the show, um, but they they haven't, they never found the killer. So, I, and I don't know about reopening the cold case or anything. I guess maybe that's something he'll bring up at one of the speaking engagements. UWL tonight, Viterbo on Thursday. Thanks for listening.